to the Edible Gardens podcast, where we talk about how your edible garden can also be your beautiful landscape. I'm your host, Nanette Blair. Thanks for joining me. Okay, I'm going to let you guys on a little secret. My dream is to make good food accessible to everyone. And in my opinion, the best definition of good food is nutritious, delicious, and safe. And it doesn't get any better than picking fresh fruit, herbs, veggies, straight off the plant, where you know what went into it from start to finish. Also, you won't find any tomato cages here. As a matter of fact, there's a lot you won't find here, including pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, or any of the other sides. But what you will find here are landscapes that are designed for beauty, reflection, fun, and entertaining, and the list goes on to whatever you want. After all, it's your home, your yard, and your taste, and beauty truly is in the eye of the beholder. Okay, you know that garden you've been thinking about, either the one you already have that just needs a little more oomph, or the one that's been in your head for who knows how long. Well, I know you're ready. I know I'm ready. So let's dig in. Okay, I just wanted to introduce myself and let you know kind of the different methodologies that I've studied and how I came to believe what I believe when it comes to gardening. So I guess it started for me whenever I started buying books. Every time we would go to Sam's or Barnes and Noble or a half price bookstore or a garage sale, I would buy books on gardening. I just kind of did it naturally. I kind of think I did it subconsciously. But I didn't realize that I had so many books, and they're on what I call now my someday shelf, because I knew back then uh, one day I would do a garden. And so, and then if I kind of go back even further than that, I had been hearing my whole life, you know, if you can't uh, pronounce something that's on a label, you probably shouldn't eat it. And I think that's really what pushed me more into gardening because I started to find out what some of these things were. I opened Pandora's box and, you know, you there are certain things once you know or once you see what they are, uh, you've, you can't unsee that. And I started looking into what some of the ingredients were. One of the examples that I can give is trisodium phosphate. I heard someone say that, or I read the label on a box of Lucky Charms that we always fed our grandkids is um, trisodium phosphate. Well, I knew what that was because we had it in our tool shed. We had to remodel our house because we had a flood. And so I go out to the tool shed and I look on it and it says right there, call poison control if swallowed. Well, what the heck is it doing in my box of Lucky Charms? I mean, come on. Why would they put that in there? And I know that it's because of preservatives and trying to keep it on the shelf longer and things like that. But so I told my husband, and I said, you know, I'm throwing this away. Here's why. Let's just don't buy this again. And I started looking at other cereal boxes. Well, this brand had it in, but this one didn't. And I'm sorry, I don't remember what they are now. But I've been hearing the same thing about Cheerios lately. Uh, I don't know what it is. I saw that Erin Brockovich had put, because I follow her on Facebook, um, had put something on there about, um, on the label, it said something about glyphosate or glyphosate being a recommended daily allowance. Okay, so I know what that is. I know it's not good. 
But again, there's just so many things. I found out that aluminum is one of the key ingredients to the baking powder that my family has been using for generations. And I stopped using that baking powder. And um, the reason is because I knew that it was linked to Alzheimer's, which we so happen to have on that side of the family that use that almost on a daily basis. Uh, my great-grandmother made tortillas almost every day. And so that kind of spurred me on to go ahead and just check out this whole gardening thing. I thought, you know, that'd be cool if I could can my own tomatoes and can my own peaches and, and do all of that stuff. But first thing was I needed to learn how to grow the stuff. So I checked out the Master Gardeners because the, in my small town in Northeast Texas, they were kind of the end-all be-all. You know, they were the varsity of gardeners. And so I called the Ag Extension agent and in the state of Texas where I am, it was um, under the A&M University system. So they said, well, you have to sign up for the class. It's only offered once every other year and it's about to start. So I thought, okay, well, I don't want to wait another two years. I'm going to go ahead and do it now. So I signed up for the class and it's basically principles of horticulture. And it's taught, you know, at the university or at the junior college in my small town. And I saw that, you know, in taking the class, there's a lot of stuff in there that's very elementary. And it's virtually, literally, it's stuff you learned in elementary school. I remember learning about the parts of a plant, right? The the flower, the pistil, the stamen, the pollen, the stem, the roots, the leaves. We learned about um, the formula for photosynthesis. Then we talked a lot about NPK. It was a lot. It was NPK, NPK, NPK. And if you don't know what that is, NPK is basically the, the letters that are on the periodic table of elements, right? It's nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. And we did a lot of having to calculate what you needed for which plant. So it might be 10, 10, 10, or it might be 5, 5, 5, or it might be 10, 0, 15, whatever it was for whether you were planting, I don't know, asparagus, corn, tulips, uh, an oak tree, whatever it was you were trying to plant. But I knew that I did not want to go the route of doing a lot of chemical fertilizers. And as a matter of fact, we talked a lot about, okay, if you have this problem, this pest problem, you want to use this pesticide. If you have this pest problem, you want to use that pesticide. If you want to go organic, you can use this pesticide, which I found out later that it's really not all that great for humans. We talked a lot about that. There was an organic lesson. It was one week and it felt really like an obligation. <laughs> It was very obligatory for the person that was teaching the class. You could tell. He really didn't even want to talk about it. And at the time, our teacher was the Ag Extension agent um, for the county. And my understanding from talking to other people that uh, sometimes it might be a college professor and not the Ag Extension agent. But like, like I said, we were in a small town in Northeast Texas. We did learn a little bit about zero scaping and water-wise, you know, where you use less water, you know, mulching with rock, things like that if you're in more of an arid climate. But for us, Northeast Texas was a very humid climate with very acidic soil. We learned about pH. We learned about parent material. We learned about a lot about the basics. 
but you know, again, I just knew that I didn't want to do a lot of these amendments. And I had been hearing about and had all these books on how to do things in a more natural way. Well, at the time I was listening to a podcast that talked a lot about permaculture. And so I kind of already knew in my, you know, in the back of my mind, I wasn't going to do it that way. I'm going to learn what I can. But when I finished the Master Gardener's class, in order to get your designation, you had to do a lot of community service hours. And for me, I wasn't really looking for something to do. But now there were a lot of people in the class, and I guess I took this class when I was in my late 30s, maybe early 40s, I guess, probably early 40s. And there were there were two distinct age groups. There was very young, 19, 20 years old, and there was retirement age. And after getting to know some of the people in the class, I found out that the very young ones that were in there were just taking the class because they were getting their degree in agriculture. And uh, the older people were just retiring or just retired or about to retire and they were just kind of looking for something to do. So um, I was neither one of those. I had a job. I had uh, full-time responsibilities, and so I was not just looking for something to do. Well, in order to get your designation to become a designated master gardener, you had to do a lot of community service hours. You had to answer the phone at the office, which is really kind of a sweet deal for them. They have a lot of free help. And, you know, volunteer your time in whatever projects they were working on. So I did not get my Master Gardener's designation. But in the meantime, I did go ahead and start practicing a lot of stuff that I had in my books, a lot of things that I had been hearing about. We built some raised beds, my husband and I. And he was, or he is a plumber, so we did all the irrigation, and I practiced kind of a companion planting potager style garden. So if you don't know what companion planting is, that's where you plant things together where they have kind of a symbiotic or a very symbiotic relationship. So if you plant, say, nasturtiums with cucumbers, and or you plant um, marigolds with uh, watermelon or you plant yarrow with this plant or that plant but basically what it is is the pest that would eat your main crop like cucumbers or tomatoes <clears throat> has a natural enemy and that natural enemy if you has a favorite plant right so like, for instance, sweet alyssum is one that I can think of right this moment. Really is good about bringing in ladybugs. And by the way, did you guys know that people buy ladybugs? And then they bring them to their property and then they spread them around. Well, I'm like, well, how do you keep them there if you're not planting the right kind of plants that they like? You know, that shelters them, that, you know, that keeps them there. I mean, what do you do? Do you just keep buying ladybugs every year? I've never done this, so I don't know. I did check into one time on buying beneficial nematodes because of a fire ant problem that I had in a raised bed. And so I, I'm just uh, I'm just amazed how people for greenhouses they buy, you know, tens of thousands, if not billions, of this paras this type of parasitic wasp or that type of parasitic wasp, but 
I found out that if you plant a certain type of flower, for instance, it's not always a flower, um, that it will bring in the predators that prey on the pests. So in um, the case of the ladybug or lady beetle, they like to eat aphids. So if you're having an aphid problem, you just plant whatever, and there's a lot of plants that ladybugs like. But you just plant those plants in and around your main crop, and the ladybugs just, it's like hanging out a welcome sign for the ladybugs, right? If you build it, they will come. <laughs> so that's the way that I do my pest management. A lot of people ask me, well, how do you manage pests if you do everything all natural? That is one of the ways. The other way is to make sure that the the soil is good and healthy. But I later found I did not buy the beneficial nematodes for the fire ants that time because it was July. And we had talked about the fact that the beneficial nematodes would probably go real deep into the soil where it wasn't so hot. Well, now in my compost, I have beneficial nematodes all the time and they're microscopic. So the only way I can see them is to look at my compost through a microscope. But it's a fascinating thing. If you go look at YouTube now, which I did not have the benefit of back in the day, you can see beneficial nematodes attacking a grub worm or any other kind of larva. They get in there and they just kind of like, um, what is that movie? Uh, aliens. You know, they get inside and then they just uh, eat them from the inside out. It's kind of gross, but it's really cool. <laughs> anyway, potage gardening is something that the monks and the priests used to do, you know, way back in the medieval times. They would build their little kitchen garden, which is literally what it means in French is kitchen garden. Potage jardin, I think it, it's, it's how you say it. So it's companion planting, it's growing flowers with your medicinal stuff, which the priests and the monks back then were kind of the pharmacists at the time. You know, they used um, herbs to cure things like, I don't know, whatever the problems were of the times. I learned a lot about postage stamp gardening, lasagna gardening, which is basically sheet mulching. Um, I learned a lot about square foot gardening. I did a lot of research on the different companions that you can do and it goes way beyond and one of the books that I have on my shelf I've actually bought a couple of times and I will buy it again because it's already so worn out from the last time that I bought it but I use it as a field guide all the time but that book it's called The Great Garden Companions it's not complete um, she doesn't have things in there about like blueberries or fruit trees, whereas carrots love tomatoes. That's also on my someday shelf that I use now. It's my nowadays shelf. <laughs> um, she has more of that. So it's not like one book is the end all be all. And, you know, being in the middle of the information age that we are right now, there's a lot of stuff that you can find online. There is a sea of voices that talk about this and that, and I'm seeing that a lot of people just repeating what someone else said. So I am very, I always have more questions than answers, and I always want to know where's the source coming from? Is this a credible source? And so I do a lot of digging in research-wise, and I just want to share it with everyone. So going back to my next step, about five years after I took the Master Gardener's class, I went ahead and signed up for a permaculture class because I'd been hearing about this on um, a podcast that I listened to. 
And the thing that intrigued me about it was they were talking about things like food forests. They were going out into the world, all over the world, and discovering like a 2,000-year-old food forest and a 500-year-old food forest and a 200-year-old food forest. Heck, I'd be interested in a 20-year-old food forest. <laughs> you know, something where everything was all growing, taking care of itself, and nobody was fertilizing it. Nobody's pulling weeds. Nobody is um, doing anything to it except for just taking, you know, just collecting the food from it. So needless to say, this was very intriguing to me. And I started to hear that they were teaching this class at the universities, at some of the universities, and they were teaching these courses all over the world, Germany, Japan, Indonesia, uh, China, Australia, the United States, all over the place. But when they said that they were teaching it at the universities, I thought, okay, that sounds pretty credible to me. And the fact that they were just studying the patterns of nature, how a forest does it all on its own, that sounded even more credible to me. But you back it up with looking at everything under a microscope, even more credible to me. So there's a lot of hard data and science behind all this mumbo jumbo. <laughs> so... I went and signed up for the class and bought a ticket to Bali. And when I got to, um, I boarded the plane in DFW. When I got to LAX, they said, okay, there's a volcano going off. And the airline said, we're not going to put you up in a hotel. We're not going to feed you. So you have a choice. You can turn around and go back to where you came from. You can go on to your next destination and wait it out, or you can stay here and wait it out. And if the volcano all clears up, then we can go ahead and fly you in. Well, this was a two-week stay, all-inclusive, in a bamboo hut, which I don't mind because I'm kind of a campy girl. And I did not want to stay at the airport in L.A. or at the airport in Australia because, you know, I had to stay close to the airport, right? I couldn't just go out into the outback and try to find somebody or <laughs> something to do. So I turned around and went home after spending one night at LAX. And as it turns out, it was the best thing that I could have done because not that it wouldn't have been a good experience to go to Bali and meet all these other people and hear what they have to say. But I signed up for the class through, an, it was an online class through OSU. Oregon State University, and I got to walk my property multiple times a day, observe the patterns on my property, see where what they were talking about, like, okay, oh, there's a microclimate, or okay, here's where the water's running onto my property, here's where it's running off of my property. I was able to look at everything and observe the patterns on my property, which I believe was the best thing that I could have done. So I'm really, really glad that things worked out the way they did. Maybe one of these days I will still go to Bali and uh, meet a lot of people that are doing this from all. There was going to be people in my class from Japan, from Germany, from just all over the place. And, you know, I'm kind of sorry that that didn't happen, but I'm really glad that I took the class online and was able to walk my property every day because I came away when I finished the class and completed the course and got my certification, I had a master plan for my property. I had um, 
everything that, you know, in phases by budget, you know, these are the things I don't need to do. I need to leave alone. These are, these are the things that I want to implement. These are the things I want to plant. These are the fruit trees I want. And it was just a really good experience. But one of the things that they touched on in the permaculture class was the soil food web. And I completely understand why they didn't get too deep into it because, I mean, it's a whole thing all on its own. But the soil food web was founded by Elaine Ingham. And she has a PhD in microbiology and she studies only the soil. And she's been doing this for almost, you know, I want to say half a century, like at least 40 years. I know 45 years, something like that. And her story is fascinating, but I have literally consumed hours and hours and hours of audio and video and books and um, amoeba charts and, and just, you know, everything that I can that this woman has to say. But then I'm also finding out there's a lot of other scientists soil scientists, um, microbiologists that, that um, what's the word I'm looking for, that study the biome in your gut. And you know, I had been putting this together where it seems like a lot of this beneficial bacteria that's in the soil that I was learning about that we don't want to destroy, destroy by tilling and putting down fungicides and pesticides and herbicides, because that is the the biome like they talk about in your gut, right? So you have all this beneficial bacteria and all these probiotics in your gut. And when you take too many um, antibiotics, you kill all of that. Well, it's the same thing in the soil. That's what I was thinking in my head. It reminds me of the same thing because we're hearing a lot about that and how the um, they correlate between nutrition in the human body and nutrition in the soil. So you have exudates and all this cool stuff. And do you need to have a PhD in microbiology? No, you don't. There's also a lot of chemistry that's going on down there. Do you need to have to be a chemist in order to be a gardener? No, you don't. But what you do need to have is an appreciation for or a respect for the fact that it's there. And to know that it, every time you till or we practice tillage, either in big agriculture or in your own backyard, you're just killing all of that. And because I studied in permaculture, ecological succession, I understand the reason why we have a lot of weeds in a garden because we're tilling everything up. And those weeds are the pioneering species that mother nature sends in, in a natural system, establishes you know, new biology in the soil. It, they, the weeds come up for a reason. Anyway, to me, it's just so exciting. And I know I'm going to get uh, be getting into that a lot in the future episodes. But in the meantime, I have studied restoration agriculture, which I love because I'm a tough love kind of a gardener. <laughs> I have studied the back to Eden method. Um, and there's just so many more in between that I'm sure we'll be getting into. And I can't wait to, for some of these interviews that I have planned with some permaculture people, with some nutritionists, with some chefs, um, people that have gone to culinary school, personal chefs, let's see, nutritionists, let's see, also a health 
uh, coach person, you know, like what is the workout that we get when we're in the garden? What are the benefits? Because I think that's one of the things that holds people back. They see a lot of work in the garden. And if I think back really far, I remember when my husband and I first got married, we were in our early 20s. We started a garden and it was a big garden and it was rows of tomatoes, rows of peppers. This is before I ever took the master gardener's class. This is when our kids were really young. And I think back on that now and every time I see a garden like that, I just see work. I see a lot of hard work. But as for me and the way that I garden now, is everything is a landscape. I don't use tomato cages, but I will use a trellis. I will use like an obelisk or something that the tomatoes can grow up. So everything is designed to look pleasing to me. And, you know, everybody has their own taste and how that, you know, some people might like an Asian or a Japanese style garden. Some people like a Mediterranean style garden. And I have spent a lot of time studying different styles of gardening because I really believe that that is an important part of it, especially if you live on a city lot and block or in a subdivision. Now we live out in the country on, a, on several acres, but we do have neighbors. So if you're driving down the road and you see our property you would just see a landscape there. You wouldn't even really know that you're growing, that we're growing food in here unless maybe you see an apple on a tree or a pear on a tree or a peach on a tree. Everything is just all spread around. I don't, I don't have like an orchard area. I don't have a patch of strawberries or just one place where asparagus grows, which by the way, it just looks like a very pretty little fern or actually a tall fern in the middle of the, <laughs> the summer. Everything is just all mixed up. What plant can I find that's ornamental that also has like an edible look-alike? So how can I switch these out? Or I'm always on a mission to find what makes a good companion for that plant. Or what is a good fumigant to kind of repel all the pests away from this plant. So anyway, I can't dig, wait to dig into all of this. I'm really hoping that my 20 years of research and searching and questions prove to save some time for you. I guess that's it for now. I hope that you'll subscribe to the show because... I guess that's not it. <laughs> I hope you'll subscribe to the show because I'm not really sure at this point I'm recording this, my very first session, and I know I want to do it weekly and I am going to show up weekly, but I'm not sure how often. So there may be some bonus shows because I actually have written out all these episodes that I want to have. I have them all in the calendar and I just don't think that once a week is going to be enough for me. I just have all this stuff inside me and I just want to get it out. A lot of times I say, I feel like I'm, you know, with all this gardening stuff in my head, I feel like I'm 11 months pre pregnant in the month of July. And for you people who have ever had a child, you understand what I mean. <laughs> I just have all this stuff inside of me and I just, I just want to share it. And I really have been led, feel like I've been led to share it. And I'm hoping that it blesses you in some way. And again, so if you want to follow in the journey then you can hit that subscribe button and then you'll be notified if there's any bonus material, you know, like I find out something and I just go ahead and put it in. 
So, and I, it may turn out to where the show is actually multiple times a week. I just don't know really right now. It's winter time and I know I've got to get back out into the garden. So I just can't wait to share it with all of you and I hope that it saves you some time. And I really hope to build a community of kind of, you know, people that have something else to add because one of the things you will never hear me say is I know it all. And, you know, that's why I've decided that this podcast is really dedicated to beginner gardeners or someone who doesn't believe that they have it all figured out. And, you know, one of the things I'm always kind of surprised to find out is that gardeners are like, or old gardeners are kind of like old dogs. It's very hard for them to learn new tricks because the way that they've been doing it all these years works for them. You know, tilling, putting down fertilizer, spraying pesticides and fungicides and herbicides, it works for them because they have to, but they do it every year. It's kind of a vicious cycle. The more you do it, the more you have to do it. And so for me, the promise at the end, and we've only been on the property that we're on now for two and a half years. And so the promise at the end is that one day I won't have to be doing all of the stuff that I'm doing now. You have to kind of build your systems, kind of baby it for a couple of years when everything's in place, especially, you know, when you get to putting in perennial plants like trees and things that you know are going to come up year after year, then all you have to do is poke in a few annuals every year. But when I get older, I'm in my mid-50s right now, and possibly 40 years from now, I may not be able to garden. So, but I want my garden to outlast me, that's for sure. Anyway, I guess that'll do it for today. And as we wrap up today's show, I want you to know this podcast is dedicated to you. If you're searching for a better source of food for yourself and the ones you love, I'm inviting you to come along on this journey with me. And if you don't want to miss any future episodes, you can hit that subscribe button and let's all figure out together how we can put delicious, nutritious, and safe food on the table. And remember, your edible garden can also be your beautiful landscape. Until next time, have a great week, everybody. Bye for now.